I'm uh, I'm so used to such man, our, our manner of worship, and uh, I'm never ready when you call me up here. <laughs> I figure I want to sing a few more songs. I kind of want to push it down the road just a little bit more. <laughs> Maybe I'll be prepared if you just give me five more minutes. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> I tell you what, before we begin, let's go to God in prayer again. I I need Him. I need him. Our gracious Father, help. I pray, Father, for your help and guidance in this worship service that you'd give our hearts and tune our hearts to see Christ. I pray you'd give me the liberty and unction of the Spirit so that I might set forth Christ crucified among these men, these brethren. And, Father, that you would open all of our eyes and hearts to see him set forth in his glory, in his majesty, in his victory, in his power. I pray that you'd work effectually in the hearts of those who are outside of Christ, those who do not know him, that you would draw them to him as he has set forth this night among them. I pray that you'd do this for your own glory and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name I ask. Amen. All right, if you take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I know your pastor's preaching through this, so uh, I don't know if he's going to want these notes or not, but we'll we'll see. (laughs) John chapter 12. Look at verse 20. The scripture says, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, in the previous chapters, we read of our Lord manifesting his deity. Our Lord manifesting his deity and the healing of the man born blind. There was never such an event that happened. And the Lord came to this man and healed him. The man did not seek Christ. He didn't come to Christ. didn't even know he was there. And Christ came and healed him. 
And we also have the uh, power of Christ revealed, His deity revealed in the resurrection of Lazarus. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ did these miracles so as to display His gospel. He did these miracles not just to show His power, but rather to give us a message of the gospel in every miracle He did. We, by nature, were born blind. We, by nature, were born blind. Christ came to us. Christ healed us. Gave us spiritual sight. As God commanded the light to shine out of darkness, He has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that man, he didn't know much. And I think your pastor said it. And the more they asked him, the less he knew. But he knew this. I was blind, but now I see. And this is what we know. And Lazarus also is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ raising us from the dead. We by nature were dead. We were not only blind, we were dead. Dead in sins. And it was Christ who came to us in power and called us by name. I'm sure that day if he had said, come forth, everybody would have come forth. But he didn't. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And you know, what could Lazarus do? (laughs) What could he do? He could do nothing but come forth. He came forth bound. You got that? He was, I don't know how that happened. He was bound in grave clothes. He was mummified in grave clothes. And yet the scripture says he came, I don't know if he floated out or what, but he came out. And then the Lord said, loose him and let him go. That's what he did to us. He called us by name, gave us life, gave us faith in Christ, and he said, loose him and let him go. What an amazing thing. our, Our gospel is a gospel of free grace and mercy that doesn't bind us but frees us. It frees us from our sin, our guilt, our shame. I'll tell you this, it does bind me to something. It binds me to Christ. Amen. (laughs) You know, next time you see Lazarus, you know what do you hear from him? Nothing. He's just sitting there at the table. That's what we do. We sit at the table with him like Mephibosheth. Still lame on our feet. Sitting there enjoying the king's feast. Tonight I hope you enjoy the king's feast. What's the feast? It's Christ. It's Christ. And so now then in our text, we see this, that the the Passover has now come, and these proselytes, these Greek proselytes, came to worship. They came to worship at the feast. And these men came to Jerusalem, the time of the Passover, as it was required in the law of Moses. And these men heard of Jesus' miracles. They heard of what He had done, of His salvation, of His message. And now they desired to hear Him, listen, for themselves. Somebody had told them of Christ. They came worshiping in the Jewish religion because they knew that there was, they knew God, they knew that Jehovah was God, and they knew that they should worship this way, but they knew this, something was missing. And when they heard of Him, they knew he was the missing piece. He was the one. They had to hear him. Certain Greeks, they came to worship, and they said to, to uh, Philip, 
Sir, we would see Jesus. Tonight, it is my hope for you and me that we would see Christ and nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will satisfy the soul but to see Christ. When God moves on the heart of the sinner to come to Christ, when his, when his sin is exposed and when God's holiness is revealed, no word of man, no religious deeds, no amount of works will ever satisfy unless you see Christ for yourself. Now listen to this. When I, I heard of Christ many, many years before I knew my need of Christ. But the moment I knew my need of Christ, it would not suffice to hear from man. I must hear Him. I must see Him. Nothing else satisfied. Nothing else satisfied. Believe me, I tried. I tried every offered, everything that I thought would satisfy, but I know this, it didn't. Is there any sinner here tonight who seeks to be accepted of God? Anyone desire to be, receive eternal life and acceptance with the holy God? Then listen, you yourself must come. Now I know this, sweetheart, your dad is a pastor. But he can't come to Christ for you. I can't come for my daughter. You must come yourself. You must see him yourself. You must believe him yourself. You like these Greeks. These saw the effects of their religion was not enough. They saw the blood being shed. They saw the priest doing the work. But they knew this. It was not enough to remove their sin. It was not enough. These sacrifices of bulls and goats could never take away sin, and neither can our works, neither can our deeds. We cannot make ourselves acceptable unto God. Over in Micah chapter 6 and verse 5, our Lord says by His prophet, He said, My people, remember Balak king of Moab, how he consulted Balaam, son of Boar, and Shittim, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. He said, I want you to remember that event, because that event, listen, that event tells you of the righteousness of God. This evil king, he said this, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Most High? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? What does God require of me? If you're to be accepted of God, that's a good question. Listen to the answer. The Lord hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? Listen, but to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Listen to this. He requires absolute righteousness. 
perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. To do justly. To love mercy. To walk humbly with thy God. You know, Enoch showed us that, didn't he? He was one of the first men uh, revealed in Scripture. Enoch. Says the Enoch walked with God and was not. And the apostle tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 how he walked with God. He walked with God by faith, for without faith it is impossible to please God. He requires righteousness, and that righteousness is obtained by faith through Christ. Faith in Christ. That's what God requires. God requires righteousness to be without sin. But what is our experience? Are we not full of sin? So then no matter what we do or what we give, it's never enough. It's never enough. These Gentiles realized that the sacrifices that they were, they were honoring were not enough. They were not sufficient. They were following the letter of the law, but it was not enough. Therefore, they came to someone they knew had the answer. Sir, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. If if God's going to save you, He must bring you here first. He's got to expose your sin. If He never exposes your sin, you'll never come to Christ. You'll never know your need of Christ. This is what God does first. He shows us the depravity of our nature. Then He shows us the vanity of our self-righteousness. The vanity of our works and religion. Just as these Greeks found their obedience was insufficient. Do you desire to see Christ? Do you desire to hear Him? then come near and hear the gospel that he preached to these men. Now, our Lord Jesus, when he heard these men would see him, what did he do? He preached the gospel to them. If you're to see Christ, you must see him through the gospel of his death. You must see that his death is the only sufficiency God will accept. The only one. Look at Christ's answer in verse 23. He said, Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. This here is the gospel of Christ's death. Listen, there is no gospel without the death of Christ. There is no gospel without blood. Now listen, if you ever hear a message that does not contain blood, it is useless. It's useless. Without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. No remission of sin. Jesus here sets forth in the picture of his death by this corn of wheat. Now consider if Jesus here, he is is the corn of wheat. He is pictured as a corn of wheat, 
a seed. A seed. And now if you take a seed and you put it right here on this pulpit and you leave it alone, how much fruit will it produce? None. If it abide alone, it will not produce any fruit. And so Christ here, if Jesus had not come to die, if He had remained in His holy state as the Son of God, listen, which was His right. That was His right. Surely if Jesus were to leave fallen man just like He did the fallen angels, would He be guilty of anything? No. But see then the mercy of God. God was not obligated to save man. Listen, men want God to be obligated to them. They, they think God owes them something. Well, God, you made me, so obviously you're obligated to do something for me. Yeah, he's sending you to hell. That's all his justice is obligated to do. Send you to hell for your sin. God doesn't owe us anything. And if God would have left Adam alone in his fig leaves, he would have been just. But praise God, that's not what happened. But God in free sovereign mercy came to Adam and revealed his purpose of grace to fallen man. He revealed his purpose of grace in a message of salvation. Adam had fallen. Adam had sinned. Adam had died. Adam did not know how to be accepted with God. Adam covered his sin in fig leaves and thought that was sufficient. And God came to him exposing his sin. When God comes to Emmanuel, you know the first thing he's going to do, he's going to try to hide. He'll try to hide. Hide in religion. Confusion. That's all religion is, is confusion. Gospel's simple. Religion is confusing. If you're ever confused, not the gospel. <laughs> it's not the gospel. Gospel's simple. He came to man with a message of grace, not by works or merit of man, but salvation by the seed of the woman. God said, the seed of the woman. Another man is coming. And he is going to crush the head of the serpent. He is going to save. He is going to deliver. He'll destroy the works of the devil, which was sin. It was then by sin that death came by one man. Sin entered in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. By the offense of one, many were made sinners. Listen, even so, even just like that, you know, men don't like that representative in Adam, do they? You hear that you, you sin in Adam. When Adam died, you died. Men don't like that. They say, that's not fair. Who cares what men think? God said he was your representative. And he was a heck of a lot better than any of us. And he died. God said, I'm going to send a second Adam. Just like that. And this one's going to succeed. <laughs> Where that one failed, this one will succeed.
God purposed to destroy sin. He purposed to destroy death by the work of another, and that's the one speaking. That's the one in our text. That's the one these men desired to see. Christ Jesus, the Son of God. God purposed this, and His work was to be done by the bruising of His heel. Wasn't that the prophecy? The seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent, and He shall bruise His heel. What does that mean? This is exactly what the Lord Jesus is talking about. This corn of wheat falling into the ground and dying. He's talking about his death. His death. See then the horror of sin. Friend, I want, if God be ever exposed this to us, I imagine we'd go insane. If God ever show you what sin really is, But sin is so devastating that it that only the death of the Son of God would remedy it. It's a very narrow way, isn't it? Very narrow way. Only the sin of the Son of God could remove it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. But the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Except this corn of wheat fall into the ground. If it abide alone, no man could save. But here's the hope in the text. Listen. He says this. I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That word if, I like this. Some translators translate it when. <laughs> Not a matter of if, it was just a matter of when. He said the hours come. This was determined to happen when the corn of wheat die. Only then does it bring forth fruit. See then the gospel it was God's purpose and will that Christ should die for the sins of His people. The Scripture had said, For He shall save His people from their sins. Over in Luke, when the Lord rose again from the dead, and they were all sad. He had died. They, they said, We thought this was the one. We must have been mistaken. And Jesus said, ought not Christ to have suffered and entered into his glory? Ought not Christ to have suffered and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Himself. You who know your need, you who would see Jesus, behold, he has come and he has died. This corn of wheat did fall into the ground and die. Just as God purposed him to die. He is the Passover lamb. That Passover that those guys were celebrating spoke of him. The lamb that was slain spoke of him. He is the Passover lamb. And by his grace and love, 
He bore our sins in His own body on the tree. He died. God smote the shepherd. And by His one offering, listen, the Scripture has said this in Hebrews twelve, Hebrews 9 and verse 12, He has obtained eternal redemption for us. Not by the blood of bulls and goats. Not, not that way. That was just a picture. That was just a type. It was just a shadow of what he was going to do. Christ said, the corn of wheat is me. And if I fall in the ground and die, I will bring forth much fruit. Behold the representative man. For all that the Father gave him. He is the corn of wheat. He fell into the grave and died. And by his one work of death, he has redeemed his people from their sins. He has suffered the just reward of divine wrath in our stead. Over in John 10, the Lord told him, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known of mine as the Father knoweth me. So I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. This was his purpose. This is why he came. He said, Father, shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? It was for this hour I came to die. Lay down my life. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them I also must bring. Isn't that these guys? That's what these guys right here. That's talking about us. He was thinking of you. When he said that, he's thinking of you. He said, other sheep I have. Other sheep. Other sheep I have. Them I also must bring. Well, how should he bring them except he die? He must die. And behold then the blasphemy of such things as free will works religion. Friend, it is a blasphemy. It is a blasphemy. The doctrine of universal atonement opposes the word of God. For it proclaims that Christ's death was for everyone without exception. Well, you know what this means? If that's true then all those people who are in hell, Christ died for them. If Christ died for those in hell, then listen, He failed. He failed. You see that Christ fell into the ground and died and did not yield the seed He hoped. Friends, that's blasphemy. We know that Jesus Christ was not a failure, but a victorious Savior. His death accomplished salvation. It obtained eternal redemption for all those that the Father gave. Go to John 6. Go to John 6. Oh, this is such a plain verse. John chapter 6. Look at verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you have seen me and believe not. Now, was this discouraging? Was Christ discouraged by this? Absolutely not. He said, look, I tell every man, whosoever will, come, right? But you didn't believe. Let me tell you why. <laughs> Here it is. 
All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. That's who's going to come. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm not going to cast him out. I won't ever cast them out when they come to me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me. That of, He said, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now, there, do we have to speculate as to what the will of God is? Do you have to guess as to what the will of God is? No, Christ says it. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose how many? None. Nothing. Zero. How many will this death lose? Zero. Everyone the Father gave me, I will save them. My death is sufficient for every one the Father gave me. I will lose nothing. I think one, one guy said, what if you put a million zeros together? What do you have? You still have nothing. <laughs> zero. Zero times zero is zero still, isn't it? He's not going to lose one. And any religion that says he will is a blasphemous religion. It must be abased. It must be done away with. Now, why is that blasphemy? Why do I say such a thing? Because in this text, you listen, Jesus Christ ties the glory of God to his death. He ties the glory of God to his death. He says, now is the hour come that the Son of Man be what? Glorified. Glorified. Exalted. Magnified. Why? Because He's going to be successful. He's going to be victorious. So then will the glory of Christ fail. If Jesus died for a sinner so as to glorify God the Father and then that sinner die in his sins, listen, then the glory of Christ would fail. The glory of Christ would fail because he failed to give eternal life to as many as the Father gave him. You see that John 6, Christ would be a liar if that happened. We know that's not so. He's not so. No, he will not fail. But we are sure of his glory even because the Father purposed to save the elect. The Son died to redeem the elect. And because he is now glorified by the Father, we know that the Holy Spirit will call all of those he died for. Every one of them. Every one of them. The Holy Spirit will call the elect and he'll do it the same way he called these Gentiles by the preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was uh, talking to some people this week and uh, they're asking me about, you know, where they should go to worship. And I said, any place where Christ 
is always the sum and substance of every message. Any other place is not worth going. If they're going to talk about you, it's not worth going. I'm not worth being heard about. I, I'm just not. Christ is all. Christ is all. When, Christ, when these men would see Jesus, you know what Jesus spoke of? He spoke of himself. He spoke of himself. And so then what is the effect of, then, of this death? He says a corn of wheat falling to the ground and dies. If it abide alone, there's no hope. But if it dies, it's going to bring forth much fruit. And he said, by this I'm going to be glorified. Now what's the effect? And the next verse we see the effect of the result of this effectual call of the Spirit. Look at this in verse 25. Well, let me go back to my text here. Look at verse 25. This is the effect of this fruit coming forth. He says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall is also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. I'm sorry, verse, verse 25. I'm, I'm skipping ahead. I'm sorry. Verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. This is the effect. First of all, he that loveth his life shall lose it. I know this, sinners by nature love this life. We all love this life by nature. We love this life. We by nature desire the pleasures, the treasures and relationships of this world. Men by nature love not only this life of sin, but this life of religion. Man is religious. You ever, I remember reading this uh, historian one time. He said, you'd sooner find a, a civilization without an alphabet than you'd find them without a temple. That's because man by nature is religious. And so man by nature loves his religion. He's a religious man. He loves the God of his own imagination. A God that he can control, a God he can rule over, a God that needs him, a powerless God. He loves a God that will do according to his will. That He, uh, he loves a God that will give him health, wealth, prosperity. That, he loves a God like that. And all who desire to keep their sin and their religion and their God all who desire to keep their family and friends and will not completely, absolutely surrender to Christ. Christ said this, if you love this life, you're going to lose it. Whosoever loveth this life shall lose it. The life you're working so hard to gain, you'll lose. You'll lose. What did the preachers say in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Oh, how men, the flesh, the world, seek after their lusts, their craves and desires, the things of this world. They say, if I just had this, if I just had this, then I'd be satisfied. That's the thought of the natural man. And you and I can understand that, can't we? We all say that. The natural man says it. If I just have this, and when they get it, what do they need? Well, they need something else. 
You find out it doesn't satisfy. And soon this life is gone and they stand before God in judgment only to be cast out into eternal torments. In that day then what shall these things profit you? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? and lose his own soul. Or answer this, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Christ said, you cling to the things of this world. In that day, these things that seem important now will not be important at all. How much will the pleasures of the flesh do your soul on that day? How much comfort will they give you in that day when you stand before God? How will you in hell be able to remember the hope that was set before you and how you despised it? Whosoever loveth this life shall lose it. But here is hope. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. This is always the result of one quickened by the Spirit of God. For once we loved our sin. We loved the things of this world. We loved the religion. We loved our false God. We did. We loved the God that we can move. The God we can manipulate. But when God revealed Himself as the immutable, unchangeable, holy, omnipotent God, we found out we could not move Him. We found out that we could not satisfy Him by our self-righteousness. And then in love and mercy, we sought mercy, the same place these Gentiles sought it, we came to Christ. We heard of his death, and we, we now desire righteousness. I desire righteousness. Go to Ezekiel chapter 36. Look over to Ezekiel chapter 36. Look at this. Uh, uh, this is the covenant, the eternal covenant that God promised. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 24, he says this. This is what the effectual call is talking about. This I'll take you from among the heathen. And gather you out of all countries. And I will bring you into your own land. Isn't that what he did to you? He gathered you. He called you. He took you, didn't he? Took you from your, the land of, of death and sin. And then he sprinkled you with clean water. And you shall be clean. This is speaking about the blood of Christ. He sprinkles you with the blood of Christ and we are clean from our filthiness and from our idols will I cleanse you and a new heart will I give you, a new spirit I'll put within you. That's a new nature. I'm going to take that stony heart out of you, that heart of, give you a heart of flesh, a heart of love, a heart of affection to me, heart of faith. And you'll walk in my statutes and you'll keep my judgments to do them you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness and call in for the corn and increase it and lay no famine upon you. 
and I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, and you shall receive no more reproach nor famine among the heathen. This is speaking about the spiritual food of the gospel. I'm going to increase it. I'm going to cause it to grow. I'm going to cause that fruit of the Spirit to grow in your heart. And then you'll live happily ever after. Is that what it says? <laughs> you'll just smile all the time. Is that what it says? Then you shall remember your evil ways and your doings that were not good. And you shall loathe yourselves. <laughs> How do you feel about yourself? Religion wants you to feel good about yourself. God ever cleanses you. It saves you. You loathe yourself. You despise your sin. You'll remember what you are. You'll loathe yourselves for your iniquities and for your abominations. Oh, now we see the vanity of self-salvation, don't we? We see the emptiness of our vain religion. Therefore, we most surely in the depths of our souls believe and cling to Christ for all our salvation. My only hope is that corn of wheat that fell into the ground and died. Amen. His death is all my standing before God. All my hope. And the more we live and grow and struggle in this, this mortal frame and We are constantly moved to loathe ourselves and exalt Christ. Sir, I would see Jesus. Now, if you would, he'll put you in the dust and him on the throne. He causes then these graces to grow and then what? notice what happens next. If any man serve me, let him follow me. If any man serve me, let him follow me. This following of Christ is not turning to the law. That's not following Christ. We must never begin in the spirit and, and finish in the flesh. No, the just shall live by faith. That's how we serve Him. That's how we follow Him is by faith. Trusting Him. We serve Christ. We follow Christ. We walk in obedience. 
I told you this Sunday, we are not antinomians. We are not lawless. We have a king. And our king has given us a command and we serve him. He's given us a law. You know what that law is? Let's not be ambiguous about it. Go ahead and go to 1 John chapter 3 and see it. <laughs> I love it. You don't have to guess. You just don't have to guess about these things. Just read it. 1 John chapter 3. Now, in 1 John 5, listen to this. I'm going to read this, but 1 John 5, 3 says this. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, if He's... If, if he's caused you to give you life and faith in him, listen, you're going to follow his commandments. And they're not grievous at all. Now see what his commandments are in John, 1 John 3. He says before, look at verse 22. He said, what you shall ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, what is that? And this is his commandment. <laughs> see, there's no... No argument here. This is his, this is what I've been talking about, John said. This is what I've been saying. Listen, this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Commandment number one. Number two, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments, listen, you're in union with him. You dwell with him. Dwelleth in him and he in him. And herein by we, we, and hereby we know that he abide in us by his spirit that he has given unto us. Oh, believer in Christ, don't be, ever be deceived as to think you begin in the spirit and Finished by obedience to the law of Moses. Throw that garbage out the window. This is commandments. Believe. Is that grievous to you? Is that weighty? No. Matter of fact, I know this. I don't believe like I want to. But I do believe. And I told you also Sunday, remember, faith 10 minutes ago and faith 10 minutes from now will not help you. Faith now is all that matters. Do you believe now? Do you believe now? Well, this is pleasing unto him. <laughs> this is pleasing. And you know what? I love you. <laughs> is that grievous? Is that grievous? To love one another as he gave us commandments. Not if we've seen what he's done for us. Amen. If we see his love for us, it's not grievous for me to love you. Those are his commandments. This is what it is to serve him. And listen, just like John said, that's how you know that you're in him. Well, how do you know that I'm in him? I can't. Sometimes I can't feel it. Sometimes, sometimes I just don't. I just don't know. Tis a point I long to know. Often causes anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I His or am I not? What do you believe? Oh God, oh God, I do. Help, help my unbelief. I do. 
John says, you abide in him and he abides in you. Isn't that what our Lord said in your text? Look at that. He may serve me and follow me. Where I am, there he is so. There's my servant. What is he talking about? Union. <laughs> He's talking about union. You his servant? Okay. Where he is, that's where you are. Where is he? Where are you? I'm in him. I'm in him. We are in union with Christ because God put us there. But of God are you where? In Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You are in Christ Jesus when he came into this world. I wasn't born yet. I think about that seed. You know, every, every fruit is already programmed into the seed. It's already there. It's already there. And when you put the seed in the ground and it dies, it brings forth exactly what was programmed in it. That's Christ. I was in Christ when He died. I was in Christ when He rose again from the dead. I, am, I was in Christ when He ascended to the throne. And I wasn't even born yet. One day, I experienced it. One day, he gave me life. Was there any chance he was going to miss that? I had a friend in uh, our congregation. His name was J.D. Farmer. He's since now gone to be with the Lord. He had to see our old building there in, in Louisville. It's just a, built in 1900. Uh, it's got these ominous stained glass windows on the front. It just, you know, it was a Methodist church to begin with. It always wanted to make you afraid when you went in. And sure enough, it was just dark in our parking lot. And the center of these things looked like red eyeballs, you know, just. <laughs> and J.D. and his brother out there in the parking lot, and they're out there, these grown men, they were, he was 66 at the time, and him and his brother. And they were out in the parking lot doing rock, paper, scissors, see if it's going to go in. Well, J.D. won, and they went in. And that night, the Lord spoke to that man and saved him. And he came to me about a year later, and he said, you know, what if I'd lost? <laughs> what if I lost? I didn't come in the building. There was not a chance you were going to lose. It was always determined. Amen. There was no chance you were going to miss this. It was already programmed in the seed. You were already in there. But one day, life sprang forth. I saw thee polluted in thine own blood. And when I passed by thee, it was a time of love, and I said unto thee, Live. And what could we do but live? He said, Believe. What could I do but believe? I experienced the union 
of being in Christ. Therefore, in the new birth is the regeneration, resurrection, and faith in Christ was given to me not by chance, but by purpose. And Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but unto thy name be glory. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed abundantly on us through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Therefore rejoice, you who are the fruit of Christ's work. You who believe, you are the fruit of his labor. You are the fruit he purposed to have. That his death accomplished. You are his sons. Therefore, as we go through this life, what is still our desire tonight? Sir, I would see Jesus. Isn't that always your desire? And we do that by preaching of this gospel. And I know this. You that are the fruit of his offspring, you are the fruit of his, his death. Listen, none of you shall ever leave him. Why? Because he keeps you. I like that. When his disciples, they didn't understand what was going on in John 6. You know, he said, look, you going to go away also? You suppose he knew the answer to that? <laughs> you, you suppose he was asking for information? No, he's trying to help them understand. You go away? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we're sure you're the son of the living God. That's what we're sure of. And every time we preach this message, it's the desire of everyone who hears it to see Christ. Sir, I would see Jesus. And what are you going to hear when you ask that? You're going to hear about his death. You'll hear about his victory. You'll hear about his glory. You'll hear about his success. I'm so glad we serve a successful Savior. I pray God bless this to you.